Hey there, Mavs fans. This is Rolando Blackman. You're listening to Numbers on the Boards with Bobby Corrala and Jeff Skin Wave. Summer is in full swing, Mavs Nation. It is hot outside, but we've still got some takes burning here in the podcast studio. The Mavs are spread all across the world right now. You got Harrison Barnes and DeAndre Jordan in Las Vegas for USA Basketball Minicamp. You got Luka Doncic packing up his Xbox and all his clothes in Slovenia. He's getting ready to move over to Dallas for the season. And dirt could literally be anywhere. Ha! But we are with you right here. I'm Bobby Corrella from Mavs.com, and joining me as always is a guy who would definitely be in Vegas if there was a USA podcasting minicamp going on. Oh, for sure. If there was such a thing, he is Jeff Skinwade. Hello, Bobby. So happy to be back here talking basketball. You uh, you were vacationing last week. I was. How'd that go? It went well, man. I was in Traverse City, Michigan. Have you ever heard of it? I haven't. Should I have? Uh... No. Okay. I mean, yeah, my family's from Michigan, so it's kind of like a popular vacation spot if you live in Detroit or Chicago. That's why you have three Mo Wagner jerseys. Yeah. Or Wagner jerseys. Well, I'm wearing two of them right now, okay. and the <laughs> other one is hanging on the wall in my, <laughs> in my cubicle. Right. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm a big Mo Wagner fan, uh, although now that he plays on the Lakers, I guess it's kind of like, a, you know... I'm lukewarm on Lo- on Mo Wagner. Well, he's now. still a big German, so we should at least give him some love. I got a I got a Michigan research project for you, or oh, maybe yeah? you already know. Okay. Do you know who Antoine Jobert is? Uh, the name sounds very familiar. Next time we talk, I want I want to hear everything you discovered about Antoine Jobert. Is that Rudy's father? No. Okay. But that would be cool if it was. It would be. That'd be a that'd be a stumbling block. Yeah. Yeah. How have you been? Man, I've been great. I'm uh, so excited about. The NBA season coming up. I mean, you know, we're a Maverick-centric podcast. Obviously, right for the Mavs. I work on their broadcast, so we're Mavi, Mavi, Mavi. But we're also big basketball guys. And one thing that has become a constant now in the NBA is change and how that change impacts teams. And I think there have been some really great basketball debates I've read or heard on Sports Talk Radio about what this season is going to be like. And, I, I, you know, I know we're going to get into some math stuff pretty quick, but I want to hear your thoughts right now. How good do you think? And I'm talking regular season. Playoffs are a million miles away, and there could be injuries. How good of a regular season team do you think the Lakers are going to be? Okay, so we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast, but I think since then they've made a couple moves, right? So the first time we talked about it, it was just LeBron. I think it might have only been LeBron. I don't don't think Rondo was there yet. Maybe he was. I don't know if they had Rondo at all. Uh, So you're, you're talking about LeBron, Brandon Ingram, Rondo, Lance Stevenson, with like JaVale McGee as your starting center. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Beasley's coming off the bench for them. They still have Kyle Kuzma, of course, who had a really, really good rookie season. Hart is good. good yeah, Josh player. Hart is really good. Yep. So the thing about Josh Hart, so he was the first player. You know how the Mavs would run that play? Uh, Dennis got his first points doing this, where he comes off, hands it off to Wes Matthews at the top of the key, and then dives toward the rim with the back screen for the alley-oop. Uh-huh. So Josh Hart was the first player who ever sniffed out that play. And it was then I knew, man, this I guy I didn't know play. that. Yeah. That's a good observation. I'd like to go back and see that. Yeah. So, uh, and that was like almost halfway through the season. And yeah. I'm like, dude, that guy must have played several years in college. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I like Josh Hart a lot. Uh, injuries, whatever, if, if everything plays out, you know, like on a 2K simulation with injuries are off. I don't know. I think that the Lakers are on the same level as like maybe OKC. Me too. And maybe... Maybe 
Denver. I think Denver could be pretty good, but so I think who, I think the teams above. Do, who I do you definitively have above them? Okay, uh, Golden State for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Houston, probably Houston, right? And uh, my dark horse team, the Utah Jazz. Okay, uh, so I'm fine with all that. I don't disagree with any of that. I, so. I think once you get past Houston, and I, I love the way you said probably Houston, because I think there's an assumption that Houston's going to be the team that led the league in wins last year, when I actually think they're going to miss Trevor Ariza tremendously because of the style of play. Mm-hmm. And we can get into the whole Carmelo oh, Luke thing. Luke too. Yes. And, and I – all right, just a theory. I think, I think the Clippers have zero need for – and Bamute, I think that was more of like, hey, Houston, you just lost Ariza. We'll take your backup, too. Man, uh, that, that is classic. Keep in mind, Jerry West, where was he last? Uh, Golden State. Oh, yeah. Okay. So who's the biggest threat to Golden State? Houston. Yeah. Oh, Houston, you just took a bullet? Here, let me stick some ni- a knife in that bullet wound. So, And keep in mind, whether you believe this story or not. Now, I've heard the story from the Brian Cardinal side of things, mm-hmm. but NBA legend is that the owner of the Grizzlies went into Jerry West and said, how come you haven't made any moves yet? And so Jerry West picked up the phone and called Brian Cardinal's agent and said, we would like to sign Brian Cardinal to the full mid-level exception. Thank you. And hung up the phone and then looked at the owner and said, there, I signed a player. Oh, no way. Now, that's NBA legend, whether you believe it or not. I've heard that version of the story from Brian Cardinal's side, and it leads me to believe that, yes, that went down to some degree like that. Dude. We think that players are petty on Twitter. Oh, my God. That's some if real. If that's true. Right. And by wow. the way, uh, the reaction. I don't believe it, though. I mean, yeah. these guys have they got some egos. Absolutely. Uh, and so my whole point is if a man is willing to do that, I think he's also willing to go, we got cap room. Yeah, we'll take Emba Mute to weaken the Rockets because my friends up north uh, are trying to continue their dynasty. Clippers aren't going to win a championship this year. They may not even make the playoffs. Mm. So that's the way my brain thinks. Now, Jerry West – might hear something like that and go, that is ridiculous. That person is a moron. That would never happen. But I want someone to break down for me the Emba Mute fit. Now, uh, well, Jerry, if you're listening out there, you're welcome to join us and talk about that decision dude, anytime you want. Dude, if we could get want. him on numbers on the board, it'd be that'd great. That would be so cool. That would um, be so cool. But anyways, I didn't mean to, to uh, diverge immediately into this, some other different thing. Uh, but I would say that... I'm with you. I if if at the end of the regular season the Lakers had the third best record in the West, I would in no way be surprised by that. I think I would be, but I I don't know. I think it's gonna be interesting to watch them because they don't really have. So the things that you talk about whenever you're thinking about good teams in the NBA today is do they, how much shooting do they have? They're lacking in that department. And who is playing center for them? And who is gonna be handling the ball for them? Do you know who's gonna be playing center for them a lot? Maybe LeBron. LeBron James. Yeah, which is wild. I mean, if they do that, that would be. Because let me ask you this. So, and it's so funny. We get into this conversation. Oh, Golden State, small ball, small ball, small ball. Okay, so Golden State plays Kevin Durant at center. Then when they play the Lakers, the Lakers can't play LeBron against Kevin Durant? Mm-hmm. Really? I, I, I tend to disagree. Well, hey, Kevin Durant is not small either. He's, now he's seven foot and he's long. But my whole point is that, you know, there's lineups where Kevin Durant is looked at as a two or three tight. So it's not that outrageous. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I would suggest is that, his numbers were really good last year, so the idea that he's going to be, quote-unquote, most improved player is far-fetched. But I think that there's going to be, like, on the bubble, all-star talk for Brandon Ingram. If, if the record is good, for Playing sure. with LeBron, dude, he is going to shine. Shine. And you know who else is going to shine? 
is I think Lonzo Ball is a good basketball player. Oh, yeah, I, I even forgot to mention that. And Lonzo. I think that, you know, we can talk all we want about his shot looking stupid, and I hate it, and it bothers me. He's going to make wide-open shots and playing with LeBron and Brandon Ingram, who people forget Brandon Ingram was a playmaker for about a five-week period when Lonzo Ball was hurt. Multiple playmakers on the floor, which is about to lead us to a Mavs conversation. Lonzo Ball is going to get open looks, and I believe he will knock those down. When as much as – Anyone who supports the Mavs in the world over the last five years, as much as they would hate to admit it, Rondo can hit open jump shots too. When he wants you know? to. Yeah. He's not like he's not gonna pull up from three and splash one in your face, but right. if he's standing all alone in the corner, which he definitely will be, as LeBron is just steamrolling past some stumbling big man on the perimeter. Rondo's going to be wide open, and he's, he's going to have all the time in the world to make jump shots. He's the classic guy that has to have that chip on his shoulder to go perform well. Because if there's no pressure on him and the team is just whatever, he'll go out there and miss jumpers. But if he's going back to Boston for the first time after being traded, like he did as a Maverick when he what, he dropped 30 or whatever it yeah. was and was raining threes. He like six threes. He was so good. And so the whole point is that he's got some weird – mental tick where it's like oh you doubt me watch this here's a triple double in 30 and then oh we're playing sacramento and no one cares oh i had five turnovers and was 0 for six it's just so weird he is the classic play to the level of your competition and that's the very essence of quote-unquote playoff rondo Hmm. oh these games matter watch me be a star uh it's so bizarre but there's there's a lot to it that's accurate yeah it's just the ultimate skeptic in me worries that in like Mid-December, we're going to see cryptic Instagram subtweets from LeBron talking about his teammates, like with mirror selfies and you know their their fashion statements. So they won't be matching suits anymore. Like I think something something could go awry very easily with that. I think you're right. And Coop made this point on Twitter, and he was making great points when talking about the Lakers. The thing that I would say is none of their veterans are on more than a one-year deal. So if those guys are causing waves, they're easy to cut. Mm. They're easy to cut. And look at Rondo. Rondo's been on nothing but a one-year deal for the last four or five seasons. So it's not like, uh, you, know, we're, you know, Coop's point was, well, if these veterans aren't getting their time, they're going to be worried about their – I don't even think that exists anymore, especially every one of them knowing that next summer every team has money. So they're going to get there. So the second if, – if Ingram and Ball and Kuzma and Hart are getting all the time and Stevenson's playing 10 minutes a game, bye – you know they're not going to, they're not going to slow down their. Pro- I mean, the second LeBron and and maybe we get into a Kawhi conversation here, but the second LeBron walked in the door and said, "Take your time building this team," all bets were off. If there's no pressure for the Lakers to win this year and LeBron's legacy and all this crap, then you hang on to all your lottery picks, develop them, and the next summer you have money and you can, you can turn it into whatever you want to. With LeBron making it known. I'm not going to win a championship this year, and let's build this the right way. It put Palinka and Magic in an incredible position to actually hang on to Ingram, hang on to Ball, hang on to Kuzma, hang on to Hart, figure out which one of those guys can play, and then build your team accordingly. Mm. And so in the meantime, LeBron, we have Rondo here. He knows how to win. Stevenson knows how to win. Michael Beasley can go on again. Hell, remember when we played the Knicks and Michael Beasley went nuts? He went Nova. Yeah, so it's like you can – they can play it both ways. They're a very flexible team, so yeah. I, I think they're going to be successful. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I guess also, you know, Rondo, Stevenson, Beasley, they're all guys that like to have the ball in their hands, and LeBron just played like 7 million minutes last season. Right. So worst case scenario, the Lakers win four or five games less than they could, and LeBron doesn't have to work as hard right. during the regular season. So, right. I mean, 
I, I can see both sides. I see both sides like Chanel. That's why we it's can't gonna, wait for it to play out. Yeah, It'll it's gonna it's season. gonna happen. Yeah, and there's a conversation to have about the Rockets too. If you want to go there with potentially getting mellow. Before we do that, let's okay. get let's get to uh, let's get to guys playing with one another. Let's do a okay. little Mavs talk. Okay, let's do some. Ma- this is a Mavs podcast. Absolutely, so that's a good is. idea. But we love basketball, so we start chasing every uh, car that drives by that's yep. bumping NBA music. We got 30 teams to talk about, so this is a seven hour podcast. Absolutely. Uh, so the Mavs, we talked about this a little bit last time, just like for a couple minutes last time about Dennis and Luka Doncic playing together at the same time. Mm-hmm. So these are both guys who basically play point guard, right? Doncic yes. was the guy for Real Madrid. Dennis last year had like the fourth or fifth highest usage rate of any rookie of all time. Like mm-hmm. these are two guys who really, really, really dominate the ball. So the worry, which is reasonable, but I think probably misguided. And we'll, we can talk about why. But the worry is, how are they going to make it work? Mm-hmm. you got two guys that need the ball. Well, there's only one ball. How's it going to play out? How is Dennis going to get his? How's Luka going to get his? Uh, is there enough shooting? Is there enough spacing? Is there enough time in the shot clock for everybody to be happy? Like, how is this going to work? So, Skin, uh, I want you to talk to those people, and, and we can talk about why maybe they can just relax a little bit. Yeah, I think the, you know the number one indicator is uh, the Dragic comments about playing with uh, Luka on the Slovenian team. And when he was talking about, man, I'd read all this stuff about him being a ball-dominant player, and then he played with him for five minutes like, oh, I'm good. And it's the same reason why and, – and, and the number one key here, and I'm going to steal this from the great, and I do mean great, Derek Harper. The number one key here is buy-in. And it's more buy-in from Dennis than it is, I think, Luca, because Luca's the one who's quote unquote disrupting disrupting the apple cart. If you want to think that he is, I don't think that he is. But Harp, when he played for Nelly in New York, Nelly took the ball out of his hands and said, "Hey, I want you to go shoot. You know, quit playmaking." Well, we're and Harp loved it, loved playing for Nelly. But Harp had always had the ball in his hands, so he was like, "Man, that was fun." But Harp had buy-in. So when we were talking about Houston last year, how in the hell is this going to work? Two ball-dominant guys. Harp was the first one I heard that said, oh, that's absolutely going to work because Chris Paul wants it to work. And he had experience with that. He had lived that, right? Harp wanted it to work. Oh, you're going to take the ball out of my hands? Oh, I want it to work, so it's going to work. And so when I'm, I'm laying all that groundwork to go, Dennis is the one that's got to want it to work because Luca's already done that in a different setting, but he's already shown I can – I can play with the ball. I can play without the ball. And so I think the thing is, is you have to go through these experiences, and it's harder for young guys. But once Dennis realizes how much easier it is for him to succeed if he acquiesces to someone else having the ball as much as he does, then he's going to be like, man, this is great. And I think the real key here would be, and I'm sure the Mavericks are doing this, but they need to show him how Chris Paul plays in Houston. And how he Dennis loves Chris Paul too, and Chris Paul loves, loves Chris, Dennis, and it's one of his heroes, and yeah. that's why I think it will work, and that's why I think he will make it work. Is it's just a matter of getting him to see it, and everyone I've talked to in the organization talks about Dennis's willingness to work hard and learn, which I think is is just huge because uh, we I think the last podcast we had the conversation. Do we have the conversation about the uh, the how long it takes a rookie to go through? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the 18-month rule yeah. theory. And the one caveat to that is, but of course there has to be buy-in. There's got to be buy-in. And that's why, like, for example, I find Lonzo Ball so fascinating is because his dad is over here ruining everything. But if you watch Lonzo Ball play, 
there's nothing but buy-in from that guy. Mm-hmm. He plays with buy-in. And I I actually see a lot of similarity similarities playing style-wise with him and Luca. Just their their approach to the game, the things that they see, the ways that they can be effective. Their size is pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they just get it. They get it. And so the sooner you get it, the better off the better off you are. And and like the the thing like whenever I would you know coach my my daughter's team or or talk to kids or whatever you know kids get that ball and they want to dribble up the floor, but if you watch the Jason kids and the Lonzo balls and the Luca, they'll take a dribble and they'll throw it forty feet, and man, you just you can't even get back. You can't even set up your defense fast enough. It's way more powerful. Mm. It's so powerful. And so the young players that get the long pass early. And seeing it and seeing the things develop and making it develop, those are the ones where, God, you can make it so much easier on yourself. And so I'm doing this circuitous, long discussion to say it's really up to Dennis. When Dennis sees how much easier his life is going to be playing with a guy that demands that much attention, Lord have mercy, it's on. Mm. And that's about buy-in, right? And I think, I mean, there's a pretty easy statistical way to show Dennis, like, hey, this could actually be good for you having the ball less. First off, how many times last year, just in the middle of a game, did he just look exhausted? Yes. And that's not to say he's out of shape, because obviously he's in incredible shape. He's a pro athlete. Right. But he was the only guy that was running offense for them for like 10 minutes at a time. I mean, he was just complete, and he's guarding Russell Westbrook. Right. So, like, he's just whipped in the second quarter. You get a guy that can, like, share some of the load with him. Obviously, he's going to feel way fresher. He's going to have more legs in his jump shots. Right. Last year, he's 37% on catch-and-shoot threes. So he can catch the ball and shoot it really well. Where he's struggled is with pull-ups. Yes. If, if he's having to pull up less, then all of a sudden his percentages go up, and all of a sudden he's a, he has better numbers. doesn't right. mean he's a better player. It just means he's got better numbers because he he's doing what he's good at. Right. Right? I think – so how much of, of Doncic and Dragic playing together have you seen? Did you, I ha- have I've you seen, seen it like at all? Probably a combined three minutes of it. Okay. Like, I haven't watched a full game. I've seen clips. Gotcha. Okay. So, I remember last summer – I mean, people have been talking about Doncic since, like, 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. So, last summer, the real nerdy <laughs> basketball people that had nothing better to do at 9 a.m. on a Wednesday morning, like me, <laughs> were watching Slovenia just destroy everybody in this Eurobasket tournament, which is incredible because, really, it was Doncic, Dragic, and, like, that's it. Yeah. They had Anthony Randolph, who somehow – has Slovenian heritage. How does he? Because he I went to high school here in Dallas. Yeah, I have no idea, but he was playing on he was their starting power forward. Okay. Um, maybe like a great uncle's brother's nephew's cousin right. who's like half Slovenian or something. Right. I don't know. International stuff is is wild, but so it was Antonio those three. Randolph. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, by the way, is really freaking good in Europe. Yeah. He's incredible. So those three are like Three of the best players in that tournament. So they were just, like, wrecking everybody. They went undefeated, 7-0, and I think, and won the championship. But uh, last summer, as I was watching those games, the whole just kind of like the, the thing was just, like, being all goo-goo-gaga over Doncic. I wasn't really paying attention to what was happening. So uh, just this, this week, actually, I went back and watched those games, his game against Spain specifically, because that day he was playing against Marcusal. Pau Gasol, yeah. Ricky Rubio, Sergio Rodriguez, like a bunch of pros. Is like, Rudy Fernandez still on there? Uh, oh, I no, don't, Rudy Fernandez, he plays in Spain, but he's, well, he's you from know, South he, America, He's right? Spanish. He is Spanish? Yeah, okay. he's, I, I don't know if he was playing. He wasn't on the court when Luca was. He might have been coming off the bench. Uh, they had this guy that I'd never heard of um, who's like 34, 35, plays for like Valencia in Spain. He's just like a Spanish league legend. He was mm-hmm. starting. Um, but anyway, so he's going up against like multiple NBA players, right? Right. And uh, 
what they would do is basically Dragic would bring the ball up the floor, and then Luca would you know come off like a zipper screen, come up top, or like take a flare. To, like they were just like Dragic was handling the ball, and Luca was just trying to get open, mm-hmm. right? And then Dragic would get it to Doncic. And whenever you're doing all this stuff to like scrambling to get open, the defense is off balance. So right. Doncic is catching the ball against a defender that's off balance. And if something was there right away, Doncic would do it. And if not, he'd just give it back to Dragic, and Dragic would score. Right. Like Dragic was the leading scorer on their team. He scored like 20 points every game. He was a beast. He won MVP of that mm-hmm. tournament. Doncic, meanwhile, was like the assist guy. He would catch the ball and then either give it right to the big man for three or drive himself and score. Against Spain. So you're starting on one side, you're reversing it with Doncic, yeah. and then possibly reversing it back, or he's attacking on that weak side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's all like the first six seconds of the shot clock. So yeah. like you're not wasting time. You're not killing time. One of these things that's like a, a broadcasting cliche is you'll hear a coach or a player go, well, you got to reverse the ball. Mm-hmm. And then because of the way the action goes, very rarely does the guy explain why you have to reverse the ball. And the main reason is – is because if you're reversing it properly and and you're doing it in a timely fashion, you're creating opportunities for the defense to make mistakes. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. Late shot clock shots where a guy's just dribbling around suck. Late shot clock shots where you've reversed the ball two, maybe three times Mm -hmm. are generally good shots because the defense is going through all this activity. And the main thing is when you have off-the-ball action, there's two defenders involved in that action. And, like, go back and look at some of your favorite inbound plays where guys hit game-winning shots. A lot of times the mistake is made by the defender covering the screener because there's a miscommunication. So the more action you have and the more times you're reversing the ball, the more opportunities there are for defensive miscommunication. Mm. Let me give you an example of why that's important. If you hear Mavericks that were on the 2011 team talk about Tyson Chandler, one of the things they talk about is how he anchored the defense because he was a great communicator and did a great job of organizing everybody out there. If you hear coaches talk about Jay Crowder, they talk about, man, he's the best positional defender we had because he knows where to go, he doesn't make the mistakes, the communication is great. All these things matter when you're playing a Golden State or San Antonio or one of these teams that has all this action going on. The, 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 I'll give you an example. The funny criticisms where it's like suddenly out of nowhere, Houston is getting criticized for the first time when they're playing Golden State. And you have Chris Webber and Reggie Miller and all these guys criticizing the way Houston plays. Houston had played like that all year long. They won 65 games. Nothing had changed. But what happens is is you're relying on these great players just to create for other guys. It's not the actions that are doing it. It's their sheer brilliance. So if a team loads up, well, what do you have to do? You have to get early offense because it's got to be a rebound, go, 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 push before the defense gets set. If you let the defense get set, then it's Chris beat your man, James beat your man. And so what happens is is then all these criticisms jump in, but it's like, well, this wasn't a problem before. Why is it a problem now? Well, now defenses are loading up. And that's why those wrinkles and all that movement, all that stuff matters because it creates some easier opportunities, primarily because defenses make mistakes when you put them through those paces. The reason Doug McDermott was so good here and nowhere else he had been before was because we put him on the move and his man got lost. And if Doug McDermott's open, he's going to knock down shots. All this stuff works together. So we're telling you all this stuff to say, if you put Luke on the move and then get him the ball in the description, in the scenario you're describing, 
and then the defense starts focusing on him, it frees up Dennis to put himself in a better position to score later in the clock. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that Doncic did a lot for Slovenia and also for Real Madrid, he's a pretty good rebounder. He's just a big dude, right? Yes. So he gets the rebound. There's no outlet pass. He's right. just taking it himself. Right. And he's sprinting it down the floor and either shooting, passing to a guy on the wing, or just whatever. You run and, your offense. And then you have cross matches that are a problem. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so they're, they're doing what you're basically saying. And by the way, those criticisms about Houston were super valid whenever the Rockets were up by like 15 points in back-to-back elimination games and just lost. Right. Like, the Rockets should have gone to the finals last year, so you can complain about their style of play all you want, but like, it worked. It worked. You know, they, they, Chris Paul just they know, didn't, blew yeah. his hammy or whatever happened. Chris Paul got hurt? Yeah. And Chris Paul – and uh, oh, I wanted to get back to this because uh, one thing I would harp on with Dennis is if you – so Chris doesn't really get to get – quote-unquote involved until James goes to the bench. Now, there's variations of that, right? But he's not the focal point. But if you, that second unit killed everybody. It killed everybody. And not only that, watch at how engaged Chris Paul is when he's not the focus. That's what Dennis has to learn. Chris Paul just, just wreaks absolute havoc defensively. Absolute havoc. And then what does that do? That create turnovers and rebounds and early offense. And then no one's talking about isolation basketball because you're scoring in early offense and you're scoring in transition. That's the quote-unquote easy buckets and all that stuff. So, you know, Dennis, look at all the ways that you can impact a basketball game without you having the ball in your hands. And then now you have the ball in your hands. Now what are you doing? You're already in the flow. You're doing stuff. It's like – and we go back to that original thing. It's buy-in. Hey, you don't have to just be a guy in a pick and roll to impact a basketball game. Mm. So there, there's, there's, but hey, they're they're babies, they're basketball babies. So I don't expect immediate success, but I fully expect by midseason those guys are going to be totally riffing off each yeah, other. Absolutely, it takes a while to build that chemistry, but once it happens, it it happens. Yeah. So I actually wrote an article about that uh, earlier. It might have been this year, technically. It might have been in 2017. But it was, like, right whenever Dennis started playing a lot with J.J. Yes. That was a big talking point is, why is Rick taking the ball out of Dennis's hands? Why is this happening? And at the time, Rick said, sooner or later, he's going to have to learn how to play without the ball. So let's just do it now so that way we're not having to do it in five years. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, I wonder why they're grooming this point guard to play without the ball in his hands. It's almost like they plan on adding a guy that can handle the ball that yeah. doesn't play point guard. And anyway, obviously, it turned out that they get Doncic. But there was a play in a game, I believe it was against, I don't know who it was against. Let's say the you're, Wizards. You're, but this is the, this time of year was like January, right? Yeah. 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 And they, I, I want to say it was the Wizards. It might not have been. But anyway, uh, it was a game that they won. Dennis uh, takes a shot, and they miss. Or maybe J.J. took a shot. I don't know. One of those two guys shot, missed. They get the offensive rebound. They kick it out to J.J. to run the offense. Dennis's guy is in the paint, and Dennis is on the wing wide open for three, and he's, like, doing the whole I'm open, I'm open thing, and J.J. doesn't give him the ball. And you can see for just a split second, Dennis just slumps his shoulders and looks mad. Yeah. But then literally, like, you can see the 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 switch flip in his brain. Like, I've got to still continue to play. Like, we have the ball. I right. have to stay engaged, right? Right. And it's lucky – that he did right at that moment that he realized that because he looks at Wes in the corner and says, hey, you come up top. I'm going to go down there. So Dennis cuts to the corner as his man is half paying attention to him because he's not a good three-point shooter, so I don't have to worry about him, right? J.J. takes a ball screen, gets in the lane, kicks it out to Dennis in the corner, in the weak side corner. His defender's off balance. Dennis catches, cuts right away. Harrison Barnes is open for three. Like, Dennis made a catch, 
and he is so quick that he burns whoever's guarding him. Like, his defender's off balance. Dennis makes the catch, cuts to the basket, gets it to for three. Like, and that's and a, J.J. created it. That's a right? brilliant observation, and I love that. And it also ties back to our original concept. The reason that that play worked is because the defense made a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's the, movement. There's movement going on, and there's action. And, mm. and that creates opportunities for easier buckets, yep. wide open shots. You had a awesome stat yesterday or the day before on Twitter mm. about Wesley Matthews catching passes from J.J. Barea or from Dennis last yeah, year. Yeah, he was 84 of 200 on three, so that's 42%. 42%. When catching from one of those two guys. And what do those two guys have in common? They led the team in drives. They get to the basket. They get into the lane. They mess with the defense. They're playmakers. Yeah. Defenses have to account for them. It leaves other guys open. So there was I don't I'm sure you don't have the numbers in front of you. There wasn't a whole lot of times that Dennis and JJ were on the, I mean, they played together, obviously. Yeah, not many games. I want to say like maybe twenty or thirty games. So if you have those are your two best playmakers. What if you have two great playmakers on the floor at one time? And the best example I can give you is the Spurs feasted for Decade and a half with Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili mm. just destroying defenses and tying them up all in knots. And then suddenly Danny Green's wide open or whatever, you know. Hell, even Bruce Bowen's wide open, whatever. Yep. And so I-, I couldn't help but think about the Spurs and think about how their role players had wide open shots when you were breaking down. I, I really and honestly and truly think health permitting – this is going to be Wesley Matthews' best year as a Maverick. I think that it certainly could be. He's going. To, the looks are going to be there. I They're mean, going to be there. He's going to be wide open like all the time. He's not going to be in a position to do things that aren't strong. That aren't his strong suits. And he's still our best perimeter defender. And it's not really close. Mm. Yeah, when we've talked about this before too, is like who is going to be the guy that guards Doncic? Who's going to be the guy that guards Dennis? Well, most teams don't have two guys that can guard ball handlers, but if you do, okay, you put them on those two. Well, right. then who's going to guard Barnes, right? right. Barnes can kill slower guys, so yeah. maybe you put your quicker, longer guy on Barnes, which means your power forward is guarding Wes in the corner. Well, big man's instincts should go protect the rim on a pick and roll, so Wes is just going to be open, yep. like constantly. Yep. He's always going to be wide open if everybody else does what they're supposed to do. This is going to be the best offensive team we've had since – it's going to sound weird – Jameer Nelson and Monte Ellis were in our backcourt together. But what what was that team all about? They had a quick guy Mm -hmm. that just went right to the basket. Monte scored a lot, but Mm -hmm. my favorite thing about him was that he would drive knowing that he's about to get his butt kicked. Like, he would sacrifice his body over and over and over, and that's part of the reason why he slowed down later in his career, unfortunately, is because he just played at a a million miles an hour. Small guards that attack hit a hard wall at 30. Yeah. And Dennis, you know, that's why they're working on the floater with him so he doesn't have to get his brains beaten all the time. But Monte would drive knowing he's not going to get a shot, and he'd kick it out to Parsons. Right. Who all of a sudden could drive and kick to someone else for right. three. Like You had movement, you had action, yeah. you had multiple playmakers. That's uh, flow. This is That's flow, baby. I, I, uh, I saw this, too. I stumbled across this, and I almost responded to it, but then I got tied up. But there was a great conversation going. You know who Mark Deeks is? Yeah. Uh, for uh, listeners that don't know, he, you know, kind of – cut his teeth as a really super knowledgeable salary cap guy. He had a website that listed all the salaries. And then he was talking about numbers, and then Coop chimed in on numbers. And then David Lord, who writes for DallasBasketball.com, who he's the guy I call when I have salary cap questions. He's, he's crazy knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. So they're all talking about numbers. 
and it reminded me. I love numbers. You love numbers. We put we love numbers on the boards. We man. love numbers on the boards. But one of the things about numbers is I don't look at a number and go, well, this is what a guy is because mm-hmm. I'm big on context. And all right, well, what produced those numbers? Numbers are the result of something that's always happened. They're not a, hey, this is what's going to happen because there's variables. Anybody that studied math knows that a math formula has variables. Change the variable, the numbers are going to be different. And so I was big on this. When we signed Monte Ellis, I was ecstatic. And most people had written off Monte at that point. And, oh, look at these shooting numbers. These shooting numbers suck. And Good I was, stats, bad teams. Yeah, and I was like, well, those aren't going to be his shooting numbers here because those aren't the shots he's going to get here. He's going to be in a completely different environment. And if you go back and look, midseason, the first season he's here, there's four to five national articles that were written that were, oh, my God, there's a transformation with Monte Ellis. Yep. And I was like, no, there's not. He's playing with Dirk now. Mm. This is the Dirk effect. This is We've seen this over and over. I love Jason Terry. I love him. As a person, I love him. But the number one reason that we're going to hang Jason Terry's jersey in the rafters is because he came off a of Dirk screen for most of his career. That just changes. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a great thing. He took advantage of it, and mm. we have a chip, and it's awesome. But my whole point is that it's, you know, when we get into this whole making players better, everyone looks at assist numbers and all this. Man, it's about the floor and the spacing and the opportunities that you get. Do you cash in on those opportunities? And so while I'm huge on numbers too, I love them, I'm always like, now how did these? How did you get these numbers? Because – your, your formula is going to change once you put that guy into a different situation. Well, here's a good example. So uh, I forget who tweeted this out. John Schumann from NBA Stats. He mm-hmm. does a lot of, like, numbers numbers things. And he's a he is not just like, here's a number. There's no context. Like, right. he'll explain it, right? So uh, the other day, the Mavericks are reportedly interested in bringing back Devin Harris. Mm-hmm. So he took that information and said, okay, well, the that – second unit with Dirk, Berea, Devin Harris, Dwight Powell, and then whoever the fifth person was, uh, Yogi Ferrell, Doug McDermott, whatever. That four, that group of four in 365 minutes, I think they played, they were plus 111. <laughs> so does that mean that if that team played 48 minutes a game that they would win the championship? No. But it means that whenever they played, they were really good. And we can tell you why. It's because they had multiple ball handlers. Berea, you had Devin, you had Yogi, you had shooting, you had spacing, you had guys that knew how to play, you had Multiple players that could set screens, like the, all the ingredients were there, yeah, and it just it worked out very, 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 very well for like four months. The evolution we talked about this a lot last year, and we had Dwight on the evolution of Dwight as a role man, and how JJ and specifically Devin taught him how to be the role man and what to look for and when to roll and all it's those It's not things. just like running as hard as you can. It's timing, anticipation, yes. it's angles. Reading what the defense is doing. There was so much going on, but once – and I think, quite honestly, uh, Dwight was a little miscast early on is like in the first part of the season. Oh, he'll be out there with Nerlens. He's going to be our spacer. No. Yeah. But once he was playing with Dirk and Dirk was the spacer, yes. Oh, it's Absolutely. on. Absolutely. And, and that's – I don't think there's any reason to believe – that J.J. coming off his best season as a pro and knowing how to, you know, transform his bot. Now J.J. knows this is what I need to do in my early 30s, mid-30s. This is how I control my body. So J.J. coming off his best year, if they do complete the transaction and Devin is back, Dirk out there with J.J., uh, you know, Dwight is the role guy. And then, you know, uh, we all have our 
you know, favorite guys and stuff. Maybe it ends up being this Australian dude. I, I hope, hopefully in my heart of hearts, I want Dorian to be the guy because I love Dorian. But mm. um, that second unit, you know, um, the, the thing I would say is that a lot of people are like, well, why would we bring DeAndre back? He can't play in the final five minutes of the game. I'm like, man, Rick's trying to win the first quarter. Mm. And then if you're up six when your second unit comes in, and they play the way they play, then we're not worried about the final five minutes as much as we have been the last two or three years where we're just white-knuckling it. Yeah, well, and, hey, I mean, if you're up five in the final five minutes, it doesn't matter if the guy you have on the floor can't shoot free throws. They're right. not going to foul you. Like, teams don't hack anymore anyway. It's just not – it's, it's like, against the rules to hack in the final two minutes. Right. So, you're, it's just not something you have to worry about. Absolutely. But, yeah, the bench – so, and the things that we're talking about with the bench just now – is exactly what we were just talking about with starters. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody bought in. You had spacing. You had shooting. You had playmaking. You had guys that just got it. Right. Like, that's literally just what we were talking about with Dennis and Doncic. So, the reason the backup unit worked last year and the year before and the year before and the year before that is the same reason that the starting lineup will work if they kind of figure it out. Yeah. And it's a good thing, too, that the second unit is what it is because the starters don't have to watch other teams film to figure it out. They can just watch whenever they're getting their break. They can watch JJ destroy rookies yeah. and figure like I got to be like that guy. Right. I got to do what he does. Yeah. And and I love to it's like man Dirk is just going to outclass every backup four in the league. How many players has he sent to the G League <laughs> in his career? I mean, ever since he's been playing he's just destroyed backups yeah and that's part of the reason why i think like coming off the bench this season might make more sense for him obviously yeah. that nothing's set in stone he could of still course. start he might start some days and then come off the bench other days mm-hmm. but if he plays all of his minutes against 22 year old backup big men who don't really understand how good he is he is going to just he's gonna really really piss off a lot of assistant coaches it's gonna be awesome and you know what Ironically enough, his free throw attempts might go up a little bit because those guys are going to crash out on him so hard and mm. be overzealous and all those things that he uses to his advantage. Mm. Uh, I think it's going to be a really fun year offensively, and it hasn't been that in a long time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, last season, the the second unit did really play some beautiful basketball. They had a lot of possessions where everybody touched it Mm -hmm. the starting lineup was a lot of like iso slow grind it out yeah but now we could get 48 minutes of like five passes per possession which is gonna be fun it's a lot of fun yeah it makes it makes our monday nights in january just a little more enjoyable (laughs) a little more enjoyable uh okay so uh i have a little game okay that i want to play before we get out i like games so there's this guy you like baseball skin right sure I yeah. like it a lot more when the Rangers aren't the worst team, but it's yep. uh, and they're not the worst team, but man, they're the worst team. Yeah, they're they're struggling. God, right now, the lag. Gets... Never mind. Just yeah. Hey man, I'm in- with you. injuries suck and rules and you know it's hard it's to play baseball that... without a pitching staff. Yeah, I was gonna say it's unfair that every team just can't get really good pitching. Right. Like it just it's it's and unfortunate. This league is talking about expansion. Come on, that is insane to that me. By is the way, insane. There's just not enough. Like, no. I think I'm talking about contraction. Yeah, this is maybe a good conversation to have at some point. Like, I think the NBA could possibly survive an expansion because there's a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. Baseball, I don't know. Maybe I, I, in, maybe in not a few enough pitching, years, but yeah, no, there's not there's enough not pitching. Enough right pitching. Now. Uh, unless you just break up the Astros, then maybe there <laughs> could be enough pitching. But anyway, so there's this guy on this team called the Athletics. There's this guy named Chris Davis. Ah, yes. K H R I S. 
Not Davis. Longview, Chris Davis. No, 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 no. Not that's is he still on the Orioles? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So there's I think this. He's been like, oh, oh, five. Yeah, he's he's been better. Uh, poor Chris Davis. So this Chris Davis though is not poor at all. No, he's a monster against the Rangers. Okay. So Chris Davis, ordinarily, is pretty good. Good player. He's like above average. Right. Yeah. He's not. I don't think he's ever made an All Star team. Uh, he's not going to go to the Hall of Fame. He's just he's nice. Mm-hmm. He's pretty good. He hits a, he hits some home runs, but against the Rangers, he is like Willie Mays <laughs> plus Babe Ruth plus Lou Gehrig. Yeah. So okay, so this is from Jerry Fraley. Well, la- the reason we're talking about this is because we're recording this on whatever day, Thursday morning. Last night, Chris Davis hit two home runs against the Rangers. Had five RBI. The Rangers lost. So Jerry Fraley from the Dallas Morning News, Chris Davis. In 178 career at-bats against the Rangers, right? Okay. 178 is yep. not many. Good players will get almost 700 at-bats in a regular season, right? right? In, in 178 at-bats, Chris Davis has 25 home runs and 57 <laughs> RBIs. All right, hold on. So I was going to guess, and I was going to make an oh, outrageous. Oh, no, no, it's okay. I was going to have an outrageous guess of 15. Yeah, no. 25? 25. So what the hell? over the course of a season, if you just triple 178 at-bats, that's what, I'm 530 at-bats? That's 75 home runs. I mean, dude. In a season. Dude. He's Barry Bonds against the Rangers. Stupid. He's unbelievable. And, and again, like, normal. I think last year he might have hit, like, 40 home runs. Mm-hmm. So oh, normally, he's a good player. Normally he hits for power. Right. But if you're hitting, like, a home run a game, basically, like, yeah, you're really freaking good. Right. So They'll never pitch to you. Well, they shouldn't, right. but they do. They do. They continue to, and he just continues to. I just, heard our just, buddy Jared Sandler, Sandler explain why LeClerc pitched to him last night, mm. and it made all the sense in the world. I get it, but hell, he burns you. Yeah, honestly, at this point, you might as well just hold up the four fingers. Yeah. Just do it for the bit, if nothing else. Like, we need something to smile right. about this season. So, that got me thinking. We always talk about this, especially like guys like there. There are players throughout Mavs history, right? Where you think any time they play against the Mavs, they just go off, mm-hmm. right? the the common The common one in the last few years has been DJ Augustine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, <laughs> so yes, the, yeah. So the last four, you think of of DJ Augustine games. There was a game uh, with the Nuggets where he destroyed them. There mm-hmm. was a game where he was playing. He the like he changes teams every years. Like right. I, I don't. He's played for ten teams, but every time he plays the Mavs, he kills them. Right, so the last four seasons, DJ Augustine has played 297 games. Okay, okay. so that's four full seasons. He's scored 18 points 32 times. So that's like one out of every 10, nine, 10 games. Uh-huh. Solid. Uh-huh. You know, that's fine. <laughs> but this is in 13 games against the Mavs, he scored 18 points four times. <laughs> so one out of every three times he plays the Mavs, he kills them. Right. And he's coming off the bench. Like, he's not a starter. He plays 15, 18 minutes and just goes Nova against the Mavs. Right. One out of every three times. Okay. So that is, the, that is like the number one Mavs killer. Just guys who are, like, fine but just really outperform themselves every time they play the Mavs. And there's right. another guy I want to get to, but first – who are some guys you watch every Mavs game? You mm-hmm. call uh, most Mavs games. Who are some guys that you just know, recently or historically, that have kind of meet that criteria? Well, you know, I don't, I don't even know why, and I didn't go back and look up the numbers. But the first guy that popped into my mind because of the way he's used and games that he just completely changed the dynamic of the game against us was Nate Robinson. Oh my God, yeah. Where like, he, you know, sometimes he, we'd play against him and he might not even play, and then 
there were games where he was thrown in in the third quarter, for example, and then suddenly, oh, they went on an 18-point run or whatever. Remember the game, the, the Dirk Beard game, when he hit the against big three Chicago. against the Bulls? Yeah, and he held up the three fingers, had his tongue out. Nate Robinson was, like, insane in that game. He went bonkers. He hit, like, half-court threes. That was a Saturday afternoon game. I believe so. Uh, the sun was still out when it was over. Uh, but he's the first person that popped into my mind where it's like, he's not a great NBA player, but he just had moments where he destroyed us. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's probably going to be, uh, you know, just even the way the league is structured is just guards that could get red hot against you. Um, but he does it every time. So who, remember who, uh, Nate uh, Robinson. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Before that, so it might have been the season before. It might have been two years before that, but before that Bulls game. Uh, Nate Robinson is from Seattle, mm-hmm. and so is Jet. Right. And Jet likes to talk. Nate Robinson loves to talk. Absolutely. And there was a game in Dallas when Robinson was going – Crazy! I can't remember who he was playing for. I'm going to guess the Knicks because mm-hmm. at that time I think he was in New York. And after every single shot, and he hit a lot of them, after every shot he was pulling out the jet <laughs> wings, running, running back down the floor. Right. And he was letting Jet know about it because he's scoring all those buckets on Jet. Yeah. So, like, there's kind of maybe a personal sort of thing that gets Nate a little fired up. Right. You know? um, yeah, Nate Robinson kills the maps. Are there any others? Maybe, maybe like, in the, I don't know, in the 90s, early thousands. I mean, any any guys that, like, you know, I feel like in the '90s everybody killed the Mavericks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I there mean, was a run at the early thousands. Like uh, the Mavs were good at the time. Nelly was still coaching them. They were really good. But like every player had their career high against the Mavs. Like Gerald Wallace had like a forty-point game right. the, as a rookie. Right. Like there was that run. I think it was '03 where just everybody just you want thirty points. I mean, I, I think of like you know I first start thinking of of classic nemesis, but like these are really good players. I remember I used to get so frustrated with Bobby Jackson. Oh yeah, uh, you know, but he's a really good player. Yeah, you know, he was just, six man of the year. I think. Yeah, uh, but he used to drive me nuts the the kind of plays he would make against us, and we of course had some really great battles with Sacramento. What do, I mean, do you remember anything about the eighties? I guess the the Titans back then, you know, the Lakers every year was it was it was such it was such a different league back then. But so back then we were in the Midwest Division, and back then you would play your division opponent six times. Mm. So that would be three home games against the Nuggets, three home games against the Jazz. You know, that's the way the league was structured by then. And I saw so many great uh, Nugget games, but there was a guy I bet Harp would get a chuckle out of this that used to come in and fill it up, and his name was Mike Evans. And he was this little water- wide receiver for the Bucks. <laughs> no, different Mike Evans. Okay. Uh, di- he was a little water bug guard uh, that would just come in off the bench. I would almost compare him to like uh, maybe this is going back too far, but the way Hudson used to come off the bench for the Timberwolves. Okay, uh, just a little dude. Yeah, uh, you know now they call him combo guards or whatever. I don't think they had that terminology in the '80s, but he was a scoring one that came off the bench and used to just. Fill it up against us. Yeah. And, 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 and those memories stay with you because you played them so many times in a year. And he's doing that in the mid-'80s. He's doing that against Harp and Brad Davis, who are both oh, yeah. pretty good defenders. I mean, those – dude, I, I mean – Harp I, especially. I, I haven't gone back and looked at box scores on this stuff, but those Nuggets-Mavs games used to be like 132 to 128 for regulation games. Jeez. I mean, and Doug Moe's teams played offense, and, and there is an added fun factor because the Mavericks, uh, you know, their first-ever draft pick was going to be Kiki Vandaway. And they traded him to Denver because he refused to play for the expansion team. Yep. So what that ended up being was the next year, in one draft, 
we got Mark Aguirre, Rolando Blackman, Jay Vincent, and Elston Turner, who, st- who started. Actually, I remember Elston starting ahead of Rowe for a lot of games. Yeah, Rowe's rookie year, he came off the bench. Yeah. Um, so, and Elston Turner. They did pretty well that draft, though, I'm going to say. Oh, my yeah. God. And Jay Vincent had a miraculous rookie year, started and put up, you know, Aguirre type numbers and still holds some rookie records. I got to go back and look total at some points stuff. Average, yeah. yeah. And, um, but, anyways, because we traded Kiki. Uh, you know, we, you got the extra pick, and then we did with some deals with Cleveland uh, to get some of their first-round picks. And so that Maverick team was really built in 1981. That was a, a incredible draft. Yeah. Um, well, the Stepien rule is in place now because the Mavs ripped off the Cavs. Yeah. Like so the was Mavs, Stepien the owner? Ted Stepien was the owner. Or is owner, he the yeah. GM? He was I, the I owner. believe he was the owner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. he was so desperate to win. Because, I mean, Cleveland was building a squad, which is – it's so weird because, like, at the end of the 80s, the Cavs were loaded. Yeah. And you wouldn't think that a team that was that good with, like, that many good players, Mark Price, Brad Doherty, all those guys, like, mm-hmm. that they traded, like, every first-round pick for half a decade. Do I remember this right? Did the Mavericks draft Mark Price? Um, I believe they drafted him at the beginning of the second round and traded his traded rights. I believe so. Sounds like it could be right. I mean, we couldn't look this stuff up. It's not no, like no, it no. exists on the internet. No, no, absolutely. Who, who could even know? <laughs> who could even know who that could that's even the find thing? Out? But they did almost get Michael Jordan because of the Cavs. Uh, who, the Mavs? Yeah, have you ever heard that story? No, what is that story? Oh, so, okay, last game of the season, uh-huh. right? It's kind of like a tank-off, basically, right. if you will. Um, the Cavs won a game, right? They won their last game of the year. Had they lost, it would have been a coin flip between Cleveland and Chicago for the third pick. Wow. Yeah. Now, that's not to say, if what if the Mavs got the third pick? They might have still taken Sam Perkins. Right. Who knows? Because I mean, he fit what they wanted. Yeah, and, and they already had Rowe. And they already had Harp and Brad Davis. Right. They, they had a lot of wings. Right. They had uh, Aguirre still was on the team. So, mm-hmm. you know, but this is a little, Boy, a little history. a game changer there. Yeah, and that's kind of, I mean, some of those same things happened uh, this year, like Orlando won their last game of the season Mm -hmm. and I believe if they would have lost they would have had the same record as the Mavs and the Hawks yes the Mavs lost their last game of the season if they would have won they would have had the fifth pick which would have been the third pick so they wouldn't have to trade up (laughs) so there's all of this like what if craziness that goes on but but yeah that's that's the Cavs claim to fame was there uh was there any other guys that you thought of that were oh yeah Mav killers yeah so the captain of this team the Uh captain and and by captain I'm I'm saying this is the best most established player that is allowed so like Zach Randolph He's too good to be on this team. Right, I agree. Because I, I thought like, of him, but then I was yeah. like, well, no, he's one of the greats. Yeah, but, dude, in the that 2011 team, the Mavs, I believe, went 0-4 against the Grizzlies that year because of Zach Randolph. Is that right? Yeah. How about that? I think oh, I want to say 0-4, definitely 1-3. But the Grizzlies, there was like a real chance that they would have played the Mavs in the first round. They ended up being at the 8 seed, luckily. Yeah. Because, my God, that could have been bad. But uh, Zach Randolph gave the Mavs buckets for years. Um there are other guys too. I mean, like Boogie, yeah. way too good. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. immediately. If you've made an All Star team, guys. you're ineligible. Right, right. So the captain of this team uh, is a very familiar name, uh, Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> yes, okay. he has great games. Dirk's against the countryman, Maxi Kleba's countryman. Yeah. So lifetime against the Mavs. This is lifetime going back to his first two seasons when he came off the bench. Mm-hmm. Like he's not been playing 30 minutes his whole career. Lifetime against the Mavs in only nine games, but still. 18.6 points, 4.7 assists, okay? And he's come off the bench for most of those games. Uh, he is a lifetime 53% shooter from the field huh. and 50% from three against the Mavs. <laughs> and he <laughs> and shoots like in the good, 20s yeah. from three for his career. He's a terrible three-point 50% shooter. 50% against the Mavs. So his field goal percentage 
is a career high. His true shooting percentage is over 60%. That's a career high. Uh-huh. But, and now, Rick, if you're listening to this, take note. He is a 67% free throw shooter against the Mavs, which okay. is his lowest against any team. Okay. So the Mavs should just hack Schroeder. Yes. So when OKC comes to town this year, and we'll see if that works, that could be some entertaining yeah, TV. Man. Schroeder and Westbrook playing together. Uh, Can I guess a guy? Yeah. He may be too obtuse. What about Trevor Booker? As a Mavs killer? Yeah. That could be – I'd have to go back and he look. He could qualify. I know we can't keep him I know he has glass. moments, yeah. Yeah. That Brooklyn game, was that this past season? That was, was that the year past, before? Uh, good question. They all kind of run no, together. No, 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 yeah. So the Utah game was two years ago where Gobert had like 25 rebounds. Yes. Booker was this past season. Yes. Get a rebound. Get a rebound. And guess what? I think they're get, they got they're going to get a lot. They're going to get a lot of rebounds. Year. They got a great defensive rebound. Gobert got a rebound on a free throw that he missed yeah. in that game. He got two. He got two. So remember, uh, I forget who was at the free throw line the first time. It might have been Hayward or something. I don't know. Missed a free throw. Gobert got the rebound. Mm-hmm. Kicked it out. They got fouled again. Mm-hmm. They missed the second free throw. Gobert got the rebound again. Uh-huh. He got two straight offensive but rebounds. I, but I think he got one that he missed the free throw. Oh yeah, yeah. So okay, yeah. So he got he got the board the first time and then got hacked yeah. and then got his own rebound yes. again. Yeah, that was like the peak of, man, this season is not fun. I, I looked over and I was worried for Rick's health at that point. Yeah. It's like, man, he's not going to make this. Yeah. We need to get the, what are they called, the fibrillators or whatever yeah. the in here. <laughs> I don't think it's going to work out Because well at the time him. it wasn't like, they, so in like February they started winning again. Mm-hmm. At the time, like the ingredients of being better were in place. Seth Curry had emerged. Right. And Yogi was, I think... That might have even predated Yogi, but like that was like right around the time when things started getting better. Right. I think Pierre Jackson was still on the team. But <laughs> like, I mean, it was like it was bleak when Gobert got that second offensive rebound. It was very bleak. That was when it was like, man, this what is Dennis doing right now in college? <laughs> like, what's the draft looking like? <laughs> oh man. So that's that's your all time Mavs killers team. So just and there are other guys like Marco Bellinelli always oh, seems yeah. to kill the Mavs. Yeah, there's just like a there's a few guys like that who just always seem to. CJ Miles anytime he plays in oh, Dallas, oh yeah, that, that's turns a good into one. Like Absolutely, Larry Bird, uh, Alec Peters probably has the highest scoring average against the Mavs ever. Is that right? Well, yeah, he played one game at like 34 okay. points. I mean, <laughs> okay, it's a lot of points. Yeah, for sure. And now he's playing in Russia, CSKA Moscow, by the way, which is really good. But that was his last NBA game. Was against the Mavs? Against the Mavs wow. when he just filled it up. So Good for him. Yeah, so bon voyage, Alec. Bon Peters. voyage, yeah. baby. Thanks see you for later. sending us to the fifth pick. It'll be interesting to see who Atlanta gets with the Mavs pick, unless it obviously comes back to the Mavs, because that player will forever be tied to Luka uh, Doncic. Right, absolutely. And, ipso facto, Alec Peters. And also Trey Young. And Trey Young as well. Uh, and speaking of trade paths and speaking of uh, Devin Harris, way to kind of pull this all back uh, together, tie it up nice and uh, neatly. Devin Harris was essentially traded for, at this point, because Doug McDermott is signed with Indiana, uh-huh. Devin Harris was essentially traded for Costas Antetokounmpo and Ray Spaulding. Oh, because those are the picks. That yeah. Can't. Outstanding. So they got one second-round pick, traded it down for two. Who, so, do you, who are you uh, more upset to see go, Doug or Seth? I guess because McDermott was so immediate, like, Seth missed a year. Yeah. I saw what McDermott did like two months ago. Yeah. I'm kind of bummed to see him go. He's I, a great shooter. I feel like with having JJ and having Dennis and having Luke and having all these guys that we needed Doug more than we needed Seth, but I was mm. a big Seth fan. I, I was really, a big Seth fan. Yeah. Dude, he was – for that like two-month stretch from January to like late March when he got hurt, he was so 
so good. Really good. Yeah. And that's when you really started going, man, the Mavs are so good at finding these reclamations and mm. making them work. Yeah, when at the time, think about it. They had Yogi, who was killing it. They had Seth. Mm-hmm. They had Nerlens. Mm-hmm. They had Barnes. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, like, man, their rebuild job, you get one draft pick in here, they're like, they're done. They yeah. got their team set. And then all of a sudden, Seth gets hurt. Nerlens got hurt, had surgery. You know, it just kind of, things fell apart. Nerlens and Dennis Schroeder on the yeah. second unit in Oklahoma City. It's going to be... That's going to be weird. That's going to be weird. Seeing Nerlens and, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's going to be weird. So, anyway, in five years, 10 years, 20 years, uh, at Ray Spalding's Hall of Fame induction speech. Yeah, heck yes. Uh, whenever Costas is just killing it in the finals, you can look back and thank Devin Harris. All right. And Donnie Nelson and all I'm that. I'm always stuff. looking for reasons to thank Devin Harris. I'm, I'm There's There are plenty, honestly. That's that guy's been a great, great, great Mav. Absolutely. Even and if it might not always reflect in the numbers – He's been he's been so good. He is the first one that uh, I heard uh, Melvin Hunt, who's now on the Atlanta staff, say he's got corporate knowledge. Yeah, he's got he just, great corporate knowledge. He just knows. He knows. He just understands. Yeah, and it speaks volumes too. Like he's like Dirk's favorite teammate ever. Dirk I mean, loves him. Jet and Nash obviously are special yeah. places because they were like so good together. Devin is like Dirk's guy. He loves him. And if Dirk loves him. I love him. You better love him, too. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you better love Skin, I love you, man. I love you, Bobby. Oh, it's been so great talking to you today. We got to do it more often. Absolutely. We say every week, but that's such a lie. We got to get better. We got to get better. And and uh, no one's going to know this, but we're about to go have a super top secret basketball lunch with your boy, Jonathan. Oh, we are. We're going to talk about – we're going to we're gonna talk about something. We're going to cook the food ourselves with all our takes. At one point, I think we need to have uh, a numbers on the boards party where we like do a roundtable broadcast with special guests and just do it at like a uh, place that's got great beer and great food. Dude, we've been saying this forever. I know, we gotta get we got to do we gotta it. get on this. I'm going to walk over right now to marketing and demand it. I thought you were going to say I'm going to walk right over now to, to Mark's office. <laughs> he doesn't let me in his office. No, no, the door's open, man. It's, he shuts it when I come walking Oh, out. wow. Yeah. See, I thought it was like a symbolic, like our, my door's always open. <laughs> no, 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 not, not for, for you. me. Not for, not for you. Okay. He's trying to get less of me in his life. Oh, no, yeah, no, man. no, never. Okay, yeah, well, we will, in that case, we'll see you guys. Let's just make it happen, Skin. Let's just do it unannounced. Pop-up podcast. Uh, it is numbers on the boards. We will see you, if not in person next week, then definitely on the internet next week. See ya. See ya.